0: My best friend has hair. My best friend walks with a tail in the air. My best friend makes me feel
1: as a moon. Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I am Tracy Hotchner, your dog's best friend and your kitty cat's best friend, bringing you authors and experts every week to enhance your appreciation of the pets who share your lives. If you would like to hear episodes of this show you may have missed, please go to RadioPetLady.com and visit the podcast library. You can also listen to all the Pet Talk radio shows I co-host with pet experts, including Cat Chat, the Pet Cancer Vet, Good Dogs, the Expert Vet, Exotic Pets, Holistic Vets, Pet Food Advisors, Humane Talk, and Authors on Animals. Dog Talk is a production of 8 Paws LLC, which is solely responsible for its content, and is brought to you with the generous support of Nordic Naturals Omega-3 Fish Oils, Precious Cat Litter, and Waruva, a privately owned pet food company named after the owners rescued cats, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Their brands are Waruva Cats in the Kitchen in Pouches, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend Brand, created for finicky felines and fussy little dogs all their cans and pouches are made in a human food facility, which means that every ingredient is good enough for people to eat, if your kitty will share. I am here with a delightful lineup of guests, my new friend, Dean Koontz. I'm so excited that I can say that. Who knows if he thinks that's what it is, but you know, you've heard him on the show before with his wonderful book, Ask Anna. Now we're back and I'm going to talk about his previous book, which is simply my totally most favorite book, A Big Little Life. Oh my God, I get chills thinking about it. Then Karen Morrow, who is the head of Freedom Service Dogs in Colorado, one of the oldest service dog organizations in the country for veterans, is going to tell us a little bit about what it's like to have been in the field, in that field for so long. And Dr. Lori Hess from the Center for Birds and Exotics in Bedford Hills, New York, is going to come on and we're going to find out that there are some similarities between our dogs and cats and even things like small mammals and strange parrots. But I cannot wait to say hello again to Dean Koontz. I'm so pleased you were able to make time for us again, Dean.
2: Well, we had fun the first time, so why not do it?
1: Why not? And there's so much more fun to be had in this amazing book about your beautiful daughter, Trixie, who was the very first dog you ever had. To those people listening that are amongst the 400 million people who have bought copies of his extraordinary uh, shelves of books. I don't know if you you ever found this book that is a tribute not just to Trixie as a family member, but to some of the extraordinary things that you noticed, Dean, And, and those of you who have not gotten A Big Little Life. I cannot urge you strongly enough to get it. First of all, unexpected for me was Laugh Out Loud Funny right through so many wry asides and just this peculiar quirky sense of humor but this girl was a one-of-a-kind Dean you discovered that pretty early some people told you that even when you were walking her someone told you that she could very well be here like near the end of a reincarnation never having had a dog before did you go along for a while thinking wow all dogs are angels all dogs are fascinating and brilliant creatures
2: uh well i i have a certain prejudice for dogs to begin with Uh, right i i had an aunt who had a wonderful cocker spaniel named pete and there were here and there dogs in my life and uh we had been working with canine companions for independence for many years before we got uh trixie uh and she came through canine companions she was a release dog and uh uh, so I was already set up to believe that there was uh, kind of something marvelous, wonderful, and myster- mysterious about dogs, beyond what we see of them. And uh, Trixie just sort of blew me away in sense of how true that became once we had one to take care of and one who took care of us, Uh, it's a two-way relationship. The dog is dependent on you, and very quickly you become dependent on the dog in the best possible way.
1: Yes, emotionally and experientially. She got you, you're quite the, the hard worker, you and your wife Gerda. You kind of just love your nose to the grindstone. I must tell you that you've changed my life forever. Anyone who wonders why they're at their computer at midnight... Are they out of their minds? I think your description of why being a workaholic and the, the wonderful smell of the grindstone and the, and the kind of the abrasion on your nose, it's like, you know what? We're lucky to have work we love and we're lucky to do something that matters to us. But you were very lucky to have this girl who needed to go out several times a day. And so she got you out into the neighborhood. But you, it also allowed you to see the world through her eyes. And your book was published in 2009. So you must have lived it long before that, several years before that. And I just want to say that in this book, it's clear to me that you're prescient. And I think that there are many of us that live with dogs that poo-poo our own realization that there's something really extraordinary going on with these dogs. The the fact that she understood a word like nacho, tell a little bit about that. We now have researchers, people putting dogs in MRIs, Alexandra Horowitz at at Barnard, a whole, you know, a dog study lab, the dog people down in in North Carolina. You knew this right away, Dean. You could see the way she figured things out, the way she put two and two together and made five. Do you realize now in looking back that you really were a forerunner in this realization?
2: Well, some people would say uh, I was a sentimentalist. And, you know, that. I, I think we're living in an age where, Genuine sentiment and the perception that leads to genuine sentiment is mistaken for sentimentality. Uh, I, I sometimes despair, and I think that if Dickens were writing today, he would be poo pooed as a sentimentalist when he's really just writing genuine sentiment and human feeling. The dog, uh, when you have a beautiful dog and this beautiful golden retriever, from day one she came to us, I would see all these things she did that I, I, I thought wow, there's something more amazing here than I ever realized, even though I had seen what assistance dogs can achieve. And when she came to us as an assistant dog, she had a vocabulary already of close to 200 words uh, because there were all these commands she had to follow and uh, if she had gone on being a service dog. but um, But she learned, I would say, easily another 200 in the years she lived with us. And it became very apparent that their capacity for learning and understanding were almost limited. Uh, Bonnie Bergen, who kind of founded the idea of uh, assistance dogs way, way back, um, and now has Bergen Institute for Canine Studies, uh, she once told me that she thought that after all these years, 30, 40 years and more of working with dogs, that she decided there was nothing that a dog couldn't learn. <laughs> and yes. I- I kind of believe her, too, because I would see Trixie pick up things, like you mentioned, nachos. We were at a restaurant one night, and she didn't get much in the way of human food, but we gave her, you know, certain vegetables she liked, certain fruit, and uh, one night, we just were being naughty ourselves. We don't allow ourselves nachos very often, and we were having them, and we were at a restaurant where she would generally lay under the table, and, and nobody would even know she was there if she didn't get up, and but she smelled those nachos, and she got up and started giving us big, soulful eyes. And so I said to her, does Trixie want some nachos? And I gave her some na- a little piece of corn chip and a little cheese on it and gave her another little bite. She got this on two occasions and then not again for months and months and months. And one day I was in our office uh, talking to – in my assistant's office, and I was talking about – the restaurant where we had gotten this and I said to him oh when you go there be sure to get their nachos and Trixie exploded off her dog bed and came running across the room to me and I looked at her and I said my god she heard that word twice and six months later she remembers exactly what it is and she wants some more.
1: (laughs) And you know what's great about the book Dean is that you have example after example of things that are clearly not a coincidence and I think the other thing that comes across very clearly in the book, and for me was very nutritious emotionally and spiritually, is that you really are someone who has lived a very observed life and a very conscious life and an evolved life, you and your wife. I think that what comes through is a great sense of grace and of being as much in the moment as you can and understanding what that means. And you really, in this book, encouraged me to think back on my wonderful golden Roma, and the number of things that Trixie did, which seemed, that can't be, really? Is is she doing that? Is she understanding that? And I never knew what to make of it. And many of us that own dogs go, nah, we're just imagining it. That's a coincidence. It can't be. And yet, here you have a dog who starts out with a vocabulary of 200 words. Now, there's that gentleman who has a book called, a, a book about his dog, Chaser, to whom he is taught the names of 1,000 objects. Most of them are stuffed animals and they have something written on them in American writing. Of course, the dog can't read. But, you know, the bunny is called Sylvester and the whatever, uh, the squeaky is called the blue squeaky. And the dog absolutely knows the difference. But in A Big Little Life, you show us that this girl came knowing a lot of words that were necessary for her work, but she was constantly aware of human language. And I think that that's something that, most of us are not mindful of. We think, I, the other day I said garbage. I didn't even say garbage truck or garbage man. And the dogs are always closed in when the garbage truck comes for obvious reasons. And they, and Maisie jumped up, she's not a golden retriever, but you know she has some golden retriever qualities, I guess, on the sofa that's by the window and barked out the window. Now, that was before I read your book. But having read it, I know she absolutely heard the word garbage and was reacting to what she was expecting to see outside the window. Do you find that you have a number of people in your life that agree with your your realizations or are interested in them, think you're nuttier than a fruitcake, or what?
2: Well, you know, uh, most people, uh, a lot of people already think I'm nuttier than a fruitcake, so it won't <laughs> be because of any of this. But uh, it's uh, when we tell people that don't have an interest in dogs, about these things, you can see them saying, uh, looking at you with a slight little glint of humor in their eye thinking you're going fuzzy brain. Yes, yes. But if you talk to people with dogs, there's two different kinds of – well, there's a whole spectrum of people who have dogs. But if it's somebody who has always been conned into believing they're anthropomorphizing their dogs when they see these kinds of indications of intelligence or or understanding – uh, they can be opened up to the idea that much of what they 've seen and what much of what they 've just turned their mind away from is something bigger and stranger than they have been willing to face and then they they are doing what you just you said they begin to look at things in a different way, and it does open you to not only seeing dogs in a different way but to seeing almost everything in a different way i, I The world is an amazing, mysterious layered place and our our lives make us look at it because we have so much busyness in our lives that we're we're not, we're all natural philosophers I mean that's part of the human condition but we don't make any time or effort for it because we're too busy with other things but when we start to open up to see some things in a different way like seeing that there's more to dogs than this um, than just being a pet or just being an animal that dashes around the yard and and is amusing uh then you start beginning to see other things in life that kind of give you a sense of wonder too and i say in this book that Trixie uh, restored my childhood sense of wonder that i hadn't quite realized had gotten worn away over the years because i used my imagination my sense of wonder to make a living But it had gotten worn away and just watching her and being open to the idea of all that i was seeing sort of transformed our life, uh, my wife and my life, and uh, made us m- much more willing to look at a lot of things in a different way. And, of course, because we work with Canaan Companions for Independence, when we're around them, we were just at an event Saturday night where 400 people who totally understand dogs and what they're capable of are in one place. It's it's kind of exhilarating. So. I don't, know, uh, I don't know that I would have ever gotten quite to where I am in life uh, without that first dog and now without the second one because they raised me up into a higher level of awareness, call it a higher consciousness, but they certainly did that.
1: And I think that, that seeing that and having you describe your childhood, which was a very harsh childhood. I mean, those of us that think, oh, wow, a super duper supremo best selling author, hundreds of millions of copies, and therefore you think, wow, hundreds of millions of dollars. And yet you're living this extremely discreet, private, personal life in which the inner life that you have, and it includes as a couple, it includes your dog, has so much depth that I think it's. It's an incredible example to the rest of us. I think it really is. There's wonderful stories in the book. As I say, I laughed out loud. Just your descriptions of your two assistants and your kind of very funny, tongue-in-cheek poking fun of whether they're actually working or what they're doing when they're not working. And it's so hilarious. There's It's just a sense of humor I have never encountered elsewhere. But it seems as though Trixie encouraged that in you because she had a sense of humor. And Goldens do have senses of humor. Of course, many other dogs, too. This is not to say this is just one breed, but it is one breed that has some very defining characteristics. You, One of the things you did when she first came, which struck me, because I only know one other man who happens to have had a golden, who he's adored so much, Marmaduke, which was my dog, Roma's beloved. She, from the first time she met him till the last time she ever saw him, She would run down blocks and blocks in Beverly Hills to get to the office where he came every day with his owner. But that man, Bill, was a wonderful Hollywood agent, which sounds like a contradiction in terms, I'm sure, to you and to others. He would curl up. He talked about curling up on the floor with Marmaduke. And at the time, because I was not so mushy about it, I thought, okay, so Bill's not okay Bill's got a problem, but then when I read that Dean, one of the first things you did was lie down with her, and how it was a form of meditation. Talk a little bit about that. It seemed to be a very uh, bold move to make as a first-time dog owner, as a you know a grown man. I, I thought, wow, you just gave yourself up to it.
2: That's uh, well, maybe it's partly I've I've never fully grown out of childhood. <laughs> so no, I don't easier. think
1: that's it.
2: Well. Uh, she she was such a uh, she do, would look so directly at you and and meet your eyes for the longest time while we were cuddling her giving her a belly rub she'd turn her head and just stare at me and so we gravitated to a point fairly early on where we had a an upstairs hallway that was very long and carpeted and uh, we would just lie down there and we would have play sessions up there if it was raining out and we couldn't go out and uh, would throw the ball down the hall and all of that and then when she was exhausted we'd lie down on the floor together and we'd just lie face to face and uh, it amazed me that she would just lay there staring into my eyes and i would stare into her eyes for the longest time Uh, it was nothing to do 15 20 minutes where we didn't break eye contact and it became very much a kind of meditative thing, but also just almost a mystical experience yes. to, to lie there with her. And to, there was a bonding there that was uh, happening minute by minute and uh, that you were very aware of. And there was one night, my favorite little story of those was uh, uh, we were lying there, and I said, um, uh, I was rubbing her, and I said, uh, Oh, I, I know what you are. You're not just a dog. And I was rubbing her, and she kind of lifted her head a little, gave me this odd look. And I said, you're not a dog, you're an angel. And she exploded up from onto her feet and ran down the hall, probably 40 feet, and stopped and turned and looked at me. And the hair went up in the back of my neck because I said, what? It what did like I say that, wrong? Yeah, it was sort of like, uh-oh. Dad, you, you found me out, but don't bring that up again, because this is something we need to discuss with each other. And I had to coerce her to come back to me. And when she came back, I rubbed her and I said, uh, okay, we'll never talk about this again. Whatever you are, that's up to you. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, uh, there were moments like that constantly with her. I found her to be uh, a creature of great depth. And now that we've had a second dog, uh, Anna, um, who's also a golden retriever, I find many of the same things there. They're different, each from the other. They have different personalities, as different as human beings are different. And yet the wonderfulness of both of them is is equal, each in in her own way.
1: And and also the picking up
2: on people.
1: That's another thing that you bring up of, of whether they pick out certain people that they don't like. Now, my Roma only liked certain people. It was a short list, and she would absolutely lose her mind in frenzies of circles when she saw this fairly short list of people, one of whom, by the way, was not someone I was crazy about. It's kind of like a Hollywoody kind of person. This was living in California. But you said that Trixie loved 90%, but when she didn't like the 10%, you discovered that she, her instincts were really right on.
2: The biggest example I give in the book is somebody I call X, uh, uh, somebody in a a distant business relationship, somebody I didn't see but was involved in my professional life and lived in another part of the country, and then came here to California a couple of times with business associates. (laughs) Excuse me, I'm recovering from a little cold. I'll try not to cough more, but came here and...
1: Uh, Well, I'll just let you catch your breath and say that the description of this man, he was like hell on wheels. This was the pushiest, most obnoxious. He wanted to stay in your beach house. He wanted to have parties there. He was, he he wanted free books. He was relentless.
2: And we didn't recognize this at first. The first time or two was this person had come with other people and seemed totally normal, but then came alone one time and, and, had not ever met uh, Trixie and wanted to meet Trixie. And that was to be key before we went and had lunch. And so I called Trixie down from, she was upstairs at that moment. I called her down to the living room and she came to the brink of the living room, looked at our visitor and wanted nothing to do with that person. And it was embarrassing uh, to the extreme because she clearly made her distaste clear and she didn't growl or anything else. She just, tried to slink away, and I would call her back, and she would huddle against me and look across the room. But when that, this person got up from the chair, Trixie left the room, and she was adamant about it. I want nothing to do with this person. And at lunch, I suddenly discovered I was literally dealing with a lunatic. Yeah,
1: and, <laughs> and, 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 a, and a pushy, vulgar, obnoxious one.
2: Yes. And, <laughs> and she uh, had
1: known it. Dean, I've, I've picked out a couple of things for you to read, but we've gotten to talking so long that I, I think I'd just like you to, to read the very end of the book, which is, uh, it, it's so moving. I'm, I'm not going to have you to read the part about when she dies, because both of us will be sobbing. I've already sobbed twice, and I've reread it. But there's a beautiful part at the end of the book, very philosophical, and I think anyone hearing this will understand that this book needs to be on your shelf, whether you have a dog or don't. There's just so much so much richness to the book, so um if if you would read that part, I, I guess to set it up really that that Trixie died peacefully in your arms at home, suffered very, very little, and then you and this is your sort of philosophizing about it, I guess, after the fact
2: yeah, this is so I wrote this to again in the book, this world is infinitely layered and mysterious every day of our lives we see far more than we can comprehend, and because the failure to comprehend Disquiets us, we lie to ourselves about what we see. We want a simple world, but we live in one that is magnificently complex. Rather than acknowledge the exquisite roundness of creation, we take it in thin slices, and we view each slice through tinted, distorting lenses that further diminish its beauty and obscure the truths that await recognition. Complexity implies meaning, and we are afraid of meaning. The life of a seamstress is no smaller than the life of a queen, the life of a child with Down syndrome, no less filled with promise than the life of a philosopher, because the only significant measure of your life is the positive effect you have on others, either by conscious acts of will or by an unconscious example. Every smallest act of kindness, even just words of hope when they are needed, the remembrance of a birthday, the compliment that engenders a smile, has the potential to change the recipient's life, If by the example of her joy and innocence, a dog can greatly change two lives for the better, then no life is little, and every life is big. The mystery of life is the source of its wonder, and the wonder of life is what makes it so worth living. On the importance of the human-dog bond, and on the reason why we give our hearts to them, knowing what is to come, a character in my novel, The Darkest Evening of the Year, says this, Dogs' lives are short, too short, but you know that going in you know the pain is coming, you're going to lose a dog, and there's going to be great anguish, so you live fully in the moment with her, never fail to share her joy or delight in her innocence because you can't support the illusion that a dog can be your lifelong companion. There's such beauty in the hard honesty of that, in accepting and giving love, while always aware that it comes with an unbearable price. Maybe maybe loving dogs is a way we do penance for all the illusions we allow ourselves, and for the mistakes we make because of those illusions.
1: I just I can't tell you how how deeply I am moved by the way you noticed your life and celebrate her life and live your life and it it is a great example to all of us. We've run out of time. I, I could talk to you for hours and I'm sure everyone would be mesmerized to hear some of the incredible stories of Trixie and things she did and felt and saw and that you noticed. My show on Radio Pet Lady Network, Good Dogs, is co-hosted by the three extraordinary golden retriever breeders and champions at Avidog. And we are going to devote the next month of that show. Each of the trainers and I are going to talk about A Big Little Life, about Trixie and about things that it's made them realize or remember about the great dogs they have in their lives or had in their lives. And I just want to thank you for raising my consciousness and awareness of all the things that that mattered with Trixie and without Trixie and she's a great dog and she's done all of us a great service
2: Dean thank you so much thank you for having me there you're fun I'll always come anytime you want me
1: there I can't wait to have you back thank you so much thank you all and just remember this title a big little life you are going to so be grateful to me and to Dean for having it thank you Dean I'll be right back after this quick word with Karen Morrow and Freedom Service Dogs. We'll be right back. This show is supported by Vectra and Vectra 3D, the safe and effective parasite treatments you put on your pet's skin every month to create an invisible shield that repels and kills parasites on contact. Parasites that are a health hazard to all members of your family. Vectra is the anti-flea topical treatment that kills all three life cycles of the flea. Vectra 3D is the anti-tick protection, only for dogs, not intended for cats, but after the two-hour drying period, they can be around a dog who's been treated. Vectra is waterproof and safe for dogs, cats, and for the people in your family, too, with protection proven to last a full 30 days. Support for this show also comes from Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality pure omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils, which our bodies cannot produce but need on a daily basis. Omega-3 fatty acids EPA and DHA are natural anti-inflammatories used by the body for skin, bone, and joint health and for brain function. Nordic Naturals uses responsibly sourced healthy wild fish, and uses third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness to provide their oils to people and their pets for optimal health on a cellular level. I am back with Karen Morrow from Freedom Service Dogs, which you heard about when Lon Hodge was on the show talking about Gander, his extraordinary Freedom Service dog. Karen, welcome to Dog Talk. Thank you so much for taking time from all of your busy duties to tell us a little bit about what it's like to be the pioneering organization in the country that recognized the need for veterans to have service dogs um a long time before these current wars or even the wars in between i mean you really um you guys stuck a flag in the sand and did you feel ignored or unrecognized or misunderstood for a long time um i think in 1987 when freedom service dogs was
0: founded i think that they were just so focused on fulfilling a need that um it wasn't, you know, and, and the importance of having your dog with you. And that was a whole other set of obstacles. You know, the first one is rescuing these dogs and funding them and getting them to people. The second one is how do we educate the public yes. to get these dogs into the building? You know, I, I heard from my client yesterday. he said, I still can't bring my dog into the dentist's office. She can come in with me to the reception desk, but she can't go into the office itself for the work to be done.
1: And how do you feel about that? I mean, what we understand that if someone's suffering from PTSD, that the sound of a drill, the sound of most anything, the feeling of something can trigger a panic attack, a depression, a catatonia. I mean, PTSD is, is now a well-documented condition. So what, what do you do as an organization? I mean, you, you don't just have to rescue dogs from shelters, pick the correct ones, train them, match them with veterans. But then you have to do all this advocacy.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a big advocacy piece to it as well. And I think what we do is um, the client works with, you know, whoever the providers are and the VA, and we continue the education process. It's just astounding that there still is such a thing, especially now because there's so many kinds of dogs that are considered service dogs. And that's another new piece of it, you know. Well, I also want to say that, that
1: one of the things we've talked about on this show. Um, In the past, that I'm sure disturbs a lot of your veterans and a lot of, you know, those training the dogs, is that there are some very wicked, naughty, selfish people that have no particular condition other than general anxiety about being humans on the planet who are buying these service dog vests and schlepping these dogs into all sorts of places just because they feel like having their dog with them. And to me, it is a great insult to the really highly trained dogs, skilled dogs, functioning service dogs and the people that they're serving that these other people are elbowing their way in just because it feels good to them is that something that you just ignore there's no way nothing you can do about it
0: you know um, like you said earlier we have so many tasks that we really right. can only focus our energy on what's most important yes and that's getting the dogs rescued and getting clients their their uh, service dogs so i think You know, we don't necessarily work that hard on differentiating between the two, but, you know, at the um, Association for Dogs International Conference that we were a host of um, here in Denver um, this year, and we talked a lot about that, the different kinds of dogs and and just the education piece overall. And I think it's something that we're all aware of, um, organizations like ours who provide assistance dogs for all different needs, um, we're all cognizant of it and, and working towards it. But um, for freedom in, in, in particular, it's not something that we're, we're working on because we just, you know, we've got 50 veterans on our wait list. We we, we have to yes. focus on them.
1: Yes. And that's, know, and and that's how it works. Dogs. And that's how it works, Karen. If somebody reaches out to Freedom Service Dogs and you're based in Englewood, Colorado, and they call you or write you, they get on a wait list mm-hmm. And then what happens? Are you, in a, are you in a constant search in area shelters for dogs that are the appropriate size and temperament to be trained in this work?
0: Mm-hmm. So actually you fill out an application, and usually what will happen is your doctor at the VA or your therapist will say, you know what, I think what's going to be best for you or help you, because we all know there isn't a cure, but what can help you the most is getting your service dog. And so people will fill out the application, and they will.
1: Is um, that a human baby? Us. We just have to make sure no a, human ba- no yes. human babies are harmed in the making of this interview. We just have to make sure people understand. <laughs> yes. is, she, is, she, is she sticking pins in a puppy or is that a human baby bored by mommy <laughs> being on the phone?
0: It's a human baby who is not feeling well. And, so oh. and you know, the joys of... Um, of the multitasking, so yes. I apologize. But, no, don't listeners.
1: apologize. I just want to make sure. You know what? Real <laughs> life goes on. And I think that's one of the things to realize is that someone <laughs> like yourself, who's got fifty veterans on a waiting list and hundreds of more applications, and you've got people going out into shelters pulling dogs, you're also a mom. And I think that mm-hmm. that one of these one of the things we have to realize is that everyone is trying so hard to do so much for other people, and there's just so many balls in the air for everybody. I think that that the longevity of freedom service dogs and the example that it is set for other similar organizations that have come since then, some of them are a year old, some two, three, four, but most of them are very young organizations. I think it's an amazing example to set because the guide dogs for the blind are always purpose-bred dogs. Always. It's just the way those systems are set up for reasons that may work best for them, given the guidance that those dogs need to give their humans. But the idea of taking shelter dogs who might otherwise go homeless, be euthanized, or just go and be a pet without a, a, an important job is, is a kind of brilliant idea. Do you know where the genesis of that came from?
0: Um, the original trainer, she had a dog that she believed would be a good service dog, and she was a trainer. And then her, um, her husband at the time, her you know, friend, um, later her husband. He was a recovering vet with PTSD, and so she trained her dog to start doing tasks for him. And so we have old footage of the dog um, in the backyard with the gentleman, and he's in a wheelchair, and the dog pulls a lawn chair out of his way, you know, on a path wow. and as he's traveling down the path, and, his, and just in his backyard, from his from his garage to his back door. And that was some of the beginning footage I've seen. But you're right. So once you fill out the application, you get on the list, we meet with you, we find out what are your needs, and then... We can, you know, and, and, and simultaneously, we are searching local shelters um, everywhere from New Mexico, Colorado, um, Kansas, Nebraska. Wow. Uh, we even have some very, very rare private donations. People will call us all the way from Maine and Virginia, and say, "I have the perfect dog, and you know, I unfortunately can't keep this dog." And, and they so, bring that dog to be you. Of interest. They bring the dog to us because we don't have the money to travel. Of we're course very, not. we're of course still, not. you know, it costs $25,000 to train one dog. Wow. And that cost initially starts when we rescue you. So here you are, you a rescued dog. We have to pay all of your medical bills and everything up front. We need to make sure after you pass the temperament test and we've brought you home to freedom and to the campus, then we have to find out are you healthy? You right. How are your eyes? How are your hips? Right, right. I, you know, are you strong enough? Because you you need to last. You know, we need you around for fifteen years or that's better. That's
1: right, the maximum possible a, amount of time.
0: Right, right, and then after that, obviously, the next we have successor dogs. We have some clients who have two, three dogs. Um, really, and so yeah, oh yeah, yeah, successor dogs. It's a it's a whole nother, It's just amazing the little facets that you don't even think about. But you know, I'm going to live another thirty years, right, right. or more. Well, if a dog only lives fifteen years, I'm gonna to have to have at least two or three dogs. So a board member of ours, her name was Kathleen, she just passed away from MS. She had three successor dogs three dogs. Wow. And her last dog was Toby. And so it's just so amazing to see she was a board member, active volunteer. Kathleen did so much for us and we will miss her greatly. Um and so she's a great example of successor dogs. Um so we just have um Our Decker's Dog program is a foundation through Eric and Justin Decker and they raise money for us to, you know, provide service dogs for military specifically. And we have a client named Paul and he's getting his second successor dog and her name is Harmony. And she was funded solely on members of the Decker's Dog program, $25 to become a member and um, the Deckers themselves. So it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful. a lot of people a lot things. of
1: people go into the support and the creation of each of these dogs and each of these partnerships.
0: I'm just about to pull the Christmas card list and that's over four thousand people just on a donor level, a very wow. you know, a donor level. And that doesn't include, you know, the, the large scale donors, the sponsors, the um, foundations, the grants. I mean, the list is endless. Five dollars will make sure that our dogs have treats and blankets.
1: Oh, how great is
0: that? How great is that? For five bucks. Yes. $500 and it enables us to create the custom harnesses that a client will need if if he's using a brace right. and a dog For brace and balance. You know, you've got right. one leg. You right. need this dog. Or you have dizzy spell. Yes. Um, you know, you have severe anxiety attacks. One of our clients passes out every 20 minutes. Seriously. So his dog... Seriously, he oh can't God. watch the TV, be in the computer. He can't do anything for more than 20 minutes. He will pass out. So his dog has been trained to get his heart monitor for him, something that he self-taught the dog. They've only been together two months. The dog is so in tune with his needs that she can go get his monitor out of his bedroom and bring it to him so he can make sure that his heart, his uh, blood pressure wow. is at the right level so he doesn't pass out. What She's kind of dog that. is she, Karen? She's a um, pit mix.
1: I'll be darned. You know,
0: and that's the thing. A lot of people say, you know, well, what kind of breed do you look for? Well, we are open to every breed. Everything from um, the large large poodles. I mean, Labradors really come to mind. kind of should a lab
1: mix or any of those, Gambers, a Labradoodle. Right, right. Well, it's it's really, it's it's incredible. I really want people to go to Freedom Service Dogs and learn more about your organization and find out how $5 can make a true difference. And of course, it's also the moral support. If you had 4,200 names on that Christmas list, it's a lot more work for you. But you know, there's 200 Mm -hmm. more people that care what you're doing. And that's really important too. (laughs) You know, That's true. I would rather send
0: out tens of thousands of Christmas cards to people or holiday cards to say thank you for your support. We also do a thank you appeal around Thanksgiving because of the amazing amount of gratitude that we have. Uh, Everyday miracles are happening. And I know that might sound, you know, like a phrase you hear regularly, but I tell you, we need to raise $600,000 by the end of December. That's a lot. $600,000. Almost over half a million dollars we need to
1: raise in in 60 days. Well, I'm, I tell ho- you- I'm hoping that, that we're right close to Christmas now, and I'm hoping that people that were just going to go buy some dopey thing that someone else didn't really want, like yet another tie or scarf, it'd be really great mm-hmm. if that 20 or 25 bucks could go to Freedom Service Dogs, where it will all add up and make a huge mm-hmm. difference. Karen, it's right. very ex- very exciting to meet you, wonderful to know that you're there, and that you've, you've really set this amazing example for other service dogs across the country. I hope you give okay, a kiss to that little two-legged critter and great yes. good good luck finding wonderful new dogs. I think people will put their their hat, their thinking hats on and maybe they know of or or they have a dog that that for whatever reason isn't working out at home might might really turn out to be the kind of dog that needs this kind of job and needs this kind of focus and is able to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and that's right. really exciting to know that they they could have a whole new life with you. Thank you so they can. much. And- you're welcome. In Thank hand, you for having us. The option is, is there, and it's, it's wonderful to know. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work, and, and stay in touch. Let us know when, when other great milestones are passed. Happy to. Happy Take to. care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'll be right back after this quick word with Dr. Lori Hess from the Veterinary Center for Birds and Exotics in Bedford Hills. This show is supported by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who has created many different low-dust litters for the health of all members of the family, for the special needs of every cat, from kittens to old kitties, and long-haired and those with out-of-litter box problems who can get back in the box with cat-attract litter. Precious Cat's new litter, Touch of the Outdoors, is made with field grasses grown in their own fields, bringing the natural scent of the outdoors to provide environmental enrichment for indoor cats. This show is also brought to you by Vivimmune Chews, a natural supplement using OxyC Beta, a new active ingredient based on oxidized beta carotene found in foods like red and orange vegetables. Vivimmune is a chewable that has been scientifically proven to support immune function in dogs and cats with the main benefits to joints, skin and digestion usually seen within a month. Modern life creates many stressors on a pet's immune system, which is further challenged as they age, and Vivimmune can help pets lead the healthiest possible life. I am back with Dr. Lori Hess from the Center for Birds and Exotics in Bedford Hills, right nearby, many of you listening. Dr. Lori was A guest on Exotic Pets, my Radio Pet Lady Network show, and she is seriously the fountain of all knowledge where birds and herps and small, warm, fuzzy things are concerned. And I could not wait to have her on Dog Talk so that we could kind of shop and compare the differences and similarities between these various kinds of pets and the dogs and cats we're used to. Dr. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me back. Well, it's a delight. And, you know, it's so funny because while I was on hold waiting for you, I could swear there was something in your in your outgoing message, you know, pre-recorded, about brushing your parrot's teeth. Yes, actually, very, very
3: important. Oh, um, my not, actually,
1: goodness. It's not, well, it's not brushing
3: your parrot. It's really brushing your ferret and your, oh, bearded, ferret feet, ferret and your ferret. bearded dragon. Oh ferret and your bearded
1: dragon. Ferret and your bearded dragon. But this interestingly, people
3: people don't realize bearded dragons actually have teeth, and they get horrible dental disease, and they really need to have their teeth brushed.
1: Wow. I'm clean for that matter. For now, this is and these are issues that people with dogs and cats don't fully understand either. A lot of pe- dog and cat true. owners don't do the brushing, don't do the the once or twice a year even vet visit to check out the gums and the teeth, and they wind up with horrific problems. So, right. ferrets, we, we kind of guessed that a ferret would have teeth, although it's true that they make a good pet in terms of being lovable, right? They don't, like, use right. their teeth against people, right? No, no, no,
3: no, no. I mean, when they're little, they, they can be a little oral, but so can puppies and kittens.
1: Oh, God, yes. It, right? Yes, I have many puncture wounds that are just scarred yeah. over throughout yeah. my life from that. Well, what about a bearded dragon? I mean, this is a, a big lizardy looking thing for those of us that are, you know, not mm-hmm. a reptilian type. We are surprised by teeth because don't, don't they kind of, aren't they herbivores that eat a few bugs? Um,
0: they do
3: well. They eat a little bit. They're omnivores, right? They eat a little bit of each. But interestingly, their teeth are really anchored deeply in the bone of their jaw. And you can imagine if you're chewing on some bugs and you get some bugs stuck in your teeth or some distal <laughs> matter and you never brush your teeth, you can get periodontal disease. And then periodontal disease spreads down just like it does in us into the bone of the jaw. And they get horrible, horrible, and jaw infections.
1: Can I so, say how much I hate it when bugs get stuck in my teeth? Yeah, I know. It's so, you gotta floss. You gotta floss. Those wonderful do. little yep. gum picks. that <laughs> look like a little Christmas tree. Heavens to yep. Betsy. When we were talking on exotic pets, and, and those of you that have exotic pets, you have got to listen to my interviews with Dr. Laurie. And if you don't have them, it's worth listening just to be in awe of what goes into the the proper stewardship, husbandry, lovingness of these v- wild variety of, of animals that people own separate from dogs and cats. But but parrots is one that, I, I think birds, I checked the statistics before you came on the air, and there's 7 million birds owned by Americans. That's a lot of birds, right? A lot of birds, yes. Yeah. Well, many, so, many people have birds. A lot of people have birds, and, and I think one of the problems on the East End and even all of Long Island is that I don't know of any exotic vets along that long, you know, narrow strip of the East mm-hmm. End, but I think it's really important for, for you to give people a little 101 about why a parrot needs to see the vet with regularity and how a vet who's a perfectly nice small animal vet is not an exotic vet, and you – are board certified as an avian veterinarian and belong to serious associations of exotic animal vets and reptilian vets. It's very, very different than a puppy or a kitten. I think it's really, yeah. even, even than a rat, I mean, rabbits really fall outside that as well. Tell a little to those who own a, a bird of any kind, particularly the, the larger parrots, what it is they need to come to you for, because I, I think that preventive care is the thing that always seems to fall off the table for people.
3: That's right. Uh, What people don't realize is that It's just as important, if not more important, for you to bring your bird in when you first get the bird and for annual exams, and as they get older, even for twice-a-year exams, because these animals really have very specific needs, much more so than the dog or cat. You know, dogs and cats we're all very familiar with. You give them good food. They need some vaccines. Dogs need some heartworm medication, and they're fairly self-sufficient. I mean, you watch them, and you always bring them in for checkups anyway, right, just the same way we go to our doctors, or we should be going to our doctor's. Unfortunately, people don't really think, oh, I got a bird, it needs an exam. They wait until it gets really, really sick. And many of the diseases that I see and see sick birds are really preventable. They're man made, they're a function of being in captivity. So there are many, many things that we know now that we can do to prevent a lot of these problems. Um, you know, giving them the right diet, the right UV light, the right humidity, uh, the right temperature, um, even behaviorally, the right attention. All of those things are very important in, in to keeping a pet healthy and happy, a bird healthy and happy. And so it is important when you first get that bird to go and have it checked out, not only to make sure that it's physically well and happy and, and looks good and it will be a good pet for you, but to educate you about how to keep it healthy and happy and, and a good pet for you too. So why, why, I
1: would like people that, that get a, a tropical animal or an animal that lived on an island full of sunlight and rocks – They bring these into their apartment or their home in a kind of terrarium Mm -hmm. or a small cage. And they think, well, this is good. This is fine, Mm -hmm. right, guy? And why why would people even think that? If I were to take on that responsibility, I would be just full of questions and worries. How much Mm -hmm. exercise do they need? Is this kind of bird seed all right? Is is it okay to give lettuce? I mean, there's a a lot of things that these animals, you think, well, just give them all a carrot and, and a piece of iceberg lettuce and they'll be good to go. But that's not the case. I mean, there are very specific pellets, right? that yes. proper good quality pellets. And it. it'd be good if you told people the difference because a lot of people, I think, think of birds like birds at the bird feeder. Give them some sunflower right. seeds and some other mixed stuff right. that the birds always leave behind and they're good to go. But just as dry food for dogs and cats, although we don't feed dry food to cats, let's just remember about kitty crack. Right. But let's say dry food for dogs as part of a dog's nutritious um, meals there's such a huge variety between junk food and fine food. Is that true for birds as well?
3: Absolutely. I mean birds in the wild are getting different foods during different seasons depending upon what's available. They may be eating some seeds, but it's it's not the kind that's just sitting dried up on the shelf. Yes. You know, it's coming off a tree. It's healthier. They get some berries. Some of them get some bugs. Some of them actually eat little snails and other things. I mean, there are a whole bunch of things in their diet that we don't provide them with. And th- th- it's a very seasonal thing. In captivity, we give them the same thing every day. A lot of it is sort of processed and old. Um, so having them on a good diet is essential to keeping them healthy and, and essential for their longevity. Um, I am a big believer in pelleted food. Um, I kind of liken it to the fact that if you have a kid, a human child that's going to eat junk food all day, at least if the, that kid gets a good breakfast, yes. you know, at home in the morning, a balanced meal um, of cereal that's fortified, you know that they're getting some nutrients. You can't mix these pellets in with the other stuff that's yummy to feed because just like a kid, if you mix up a bunch of vegetables yes. with a bunch of popcorn, they're gonna pick out the popcorn. And so
1: that's so. what there are. What is what are some of the brand names of the better quality pellets? Just as long as we're we're talking, people might as well learn the name of it. If you have a bird and you're just buying whatever you buy at your local big box store, it might be junk food for 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 birds. What is a good good quality of of pellet?
3: Well, there are several brands out there, and the fact is there are many, many good brands, and really it's what you can get your bird to eat. Some ah. birds, you know, really like certain colors. Some birds have to have certain shapes, um, certain textures, and it really? really depends on what you can get your bird to eat. Again, again just like kids, you know, some kids are not going to eat the, you know, they, they go through the Lucky Charms box or whatever and pick yes, up spoons or the
0: stars or whatever.
1: So, so, and, when you, so when you have a cockatoo, now you have one yourself, right? I do. Yep. And and I, and I think you mentioned when we were talking on exotic pets that you actually feel the guilt that dog and cat owners can feel because that bird really needs social life. He needs he a social life. And you're a hardworking woman and your kids aren't around all the time. They're growing up. So that's a kind of important issue. But, you know, the food issue is one that I think people think, well, I'll buy the Largest possible bag I can, which people do with cheap kibble for dogs. Mm-hmm. I get the biggest bag and stick that in the garage and, you know, mm-hmm. scoop it out for like six months, at which point yep. it's been rancid for half that time. It, because these birds can be so picky, you don't just buy cockatoo pellets. You try different brands in different sizes and shapes until your cockatoo says, this is it.
3: Well, there are definitely certain brands that are tried and true that I know I've studied and. And my birds eat different things, and it's really as long as it's something that you know is recommended by someone who has some experience. I know that I've had—I've been an avian vet for twenty years. I've had birds um, on pelleted diets. I saw one this morning, in fact, an Amazon parrot who's twenty-six, and he looks absolutely tremendous. I mean, his feathers are perfect, his health is perfect and he's been eating pellets for, you know, 20-plus years. Wow. Um, and, and that's his
1: and main I, diet? Is, is that's his
3: main diet. I mean, you know, again, it's boring to eat just pellets all day long, right. so you can give them some other things. You know, there are some seed-based things that are nutritionally fortified, um, that are good a little bits of table food, things that they enjoy. Um, certainly, never anything that's been near a human mouth, because we have all kinds of bad bacteria and yeast and stuff in our mouths. So, when people
1: but put a, a, put a treat in their mouth and let their bird take it out of their very mouth, very bad
3: idea. Very, very bad. Yeah, this perfect. is just they one of those things bad.
1: that people love to take a selfie of bird taking. Yeah, not scat a good idea. We actually yep. could make our birds sick. I mean, for yes, real- and I've seen birds become very sick from that. So oh my good goodness! Idea. Now, is Zoo yeah. That's a brand that I've heard of as being like. Yes, it's being, one of I mean, several good, good brands delicious. out there.
3: Yep, mm-hmm. and so, they they make a lot of colorful palettes, and some birds really respond to color. The interesting thing is that birds do not see the same colors as we perceive them. So, what may be green to us may be a totally different color to them, and they also see ultraviolet light. So. You know, we certain birds that live in different areas of the world will perceive things differently.
1: Um, but the fact is that just a blah color is blah to them, and they're maybe drawn to a color because their natural diet in the wild would have had colors to it, whether it was a exactly. flower or a seed or something. It's curious because in dog and cat food, we say to people, don't ever buy anything with color. It's fake right. color. It's chemically d- – dogs and cats – don't care about the color they don't look at the color it's not their nature and that's just there as a marketing tool for humans and this is quite different it's certain birds not just certain kinds of birds but certain individuals within it are drawn to certain colors
3: absolutely i mean there are some birds that really do like bland looking pellets brown pellets and
1: that's fine i mean there are many brands that are
3: great too that that that's so funny so but um, it's something but, it's
1: it's a, it's a kind of a, a hit and miss. Now, now you have to try.
3: You have to try. I mean again this bird that I was just describing to you, I noticed that his droppings were kind of reddish and I know he's healthy and I I questioned the owner, you know, is he picking out the red pellets? And and this bird picks out the red pellets. So he's your own. Be but when
1: but yeah. when a good company makes colored pellets for a bird, they're using natural dyes, they're not using yes, who the dye number they they're using right. Good no, quality food nice. Yeah. And what about a bearded dragon? Is that something? Do those guys come waddling in quite often to your office, or do you well, have to ever make a house call for a boa constrictor? Oh,
3: we've made house calls. I mean, I've made lots of house calls. I only make house calls now, unfortunately, for for large groups of animals, just because it's so timely. It's time consuming. Sure. Um, and often it's very hard to do house calls because when an animal's really sick, there's very little I can do with someone's house when I don't oh, have anything. right. You need your or, equipment and
1: your staff. You know, and, right.
3: But, um, but yeah, I mean, all animals, whether they're bearded dragons, pythons, birds, bunnies, these are all animals that we raise in a different way in captivity than they are housed or, or that they live outside and in the wild. So we know better today than we have in the past about how to keep them healthy. It's still not exactly the same as replicating the natural conditions outside with the fresh air and the sunshine but that we do know that there are several things we can do that will make them live longer and be healthier. And those are the things, that unfortunately, a lot of people, are, they're not conveyed to them when they get their pets because a lot of what's out there, whether it's on the Internet or in the pet store, a lot of it is outdated material. A lot, you know, you really need to go to someone whose, whose job it is, like my job, to stay up on this yes. and make sure that I'm educated so that I can keep current and tell you the most current information about your pet
1: which is true of all of the members of the exotic um, animal vets. I mean, you all share, which like the, the veterinary oncologists, what somebody knew six months or a year ago may already be outdated because it's a constantly evolving field of knowledge and sharing of ideas. So you have to go to a real life exotic vet in order to, get the information that is the very best that is is available. Talk a little bit about why some of the kinds of pets that you take care of are maybe a better choice for some families, particularly with children, than a dog or a cat.
3: I mean, there are so many different kinds of pets that I work with, and it really depends on the amount of time that you have available your resources, um, you know, how much financially you want to invest in the pet. Is this a pet you want to have for a couple of years or you want to be able to pass this on, you know, to your children and your children's children. So and that there's would be for the parrot, I right?
1: I mean, that's a legacy you've oh, yeah. down. What is, Absolutely. what is an African gray parrot's lifespan often?
3: I can see them live into their 30s, 40s, sometimes longer. Wow. I, mean, I own I own a parrot right now who's 21 and he's very healthy and on the go And then hopefully he'll be here for another, you know, 15, 20 years at least. And he's a sort of medium-sized parrot.
1: So Um, what what kind is he so people can get used to He's a Pionis parrot. Pionis. They're all -hmm. so so beautiful in their own way. Do you think Mm -hmm. that for people, I I know a number of people, my, my friend Wendy out in Amagansett, who after having had to put a dog to sleep decades ago said she could never live through that pain again. I think there are some people who are loathed to own a dog because the lifespan for a large dog is, you know, 10, 12, 13 years, maybe for a smaller dog, 15. Right. And if the people themselves are somewhat young or have relatives who would happily take in that animal later, maybe that longevity is something to, to really be valued because the relationship with these birds can be profound and emotional and a true bond. Like with your cockatoo, he's upset and mad when you're not there and so happy when you are right. Exactly. I mean, he he really does notice.
3: And when we're in the house, we're not paying attention to him. He starts to scream. And, you know, it's very difficult. And it's it's frustrating because I feel really guilty that I'm not able to spend that time with him. It is totally normal for him to be screaming. And it's annoying, obviously, and it doesn't make me want to go run and spend more time with him. But it's not natural for a bird who's so social and so flock oriented to sit there by himself all day.
1: We so that's something people have days. to realize. And, yeah. and is there such thing as, as there's doggy daycare? Is there any such thing as cockatoo daycare? Yeah. Not, not um, really. There
3: are. I mean, I do daycare here at my animal hospital. There are people who sometimes feel really horrible that they're out all day. Um, and they'll bring in their animal and we will give it attention. And sometimes they go away just for over the weekend. Um, I nice. had yeah, because they they really you know they feel bad that their animals are alone and they can't even if it 's just for a short period, these animals are really, really needy, and they get very, very stressed out. I mean, there have been some families that are rebuilding their homes, literally the remodeling, and they their animals get stressed by all the noise and everything, and they will literally board them with us through the remodel
1: wow so you know, so so yeah. I think the real the realization is that the human animal bond is there for all kinds of animals and the and the needs. That we need to provide for are as as different as as each individual and as each species. But I think it's an important resource to know that you're there in Bedford Hills, New York. That anyone who already has a bird or an exotic, or better yet, you're considering it. You do, as we finish up, Dr. Laurie. You do meet with people in order to, to educate them ahead of time about what they're facing or what they're gonna what their challenges will be. So they say that's no problem, or they go, Oh my God, I'm glad you told me. Right. Yeah, I think that unfortunately too many
3: of the patients that I deal with because they're so novel and many of them are so beautiful and intelligent and they talk and they just look different from everybody else's pets, that people just buy them on impulse. And it's very easy to do that. We all see things our friends have and they go, oh, I want to have one of those or I see it in the store. And unfortunately, you know, we do that, and a lot of times people, particularly with birds, bring them home, and they're not what they think they're going to be. Or the baby adorable cockatoo that's mushy, 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 and wants to cuddle with you all day long um, suddenly becomes sexually mature after a certain number of years. Usually it's like five to seven years, and then they start to scream and bite and get very aggressive because they're sexual. They're going through puberty. And and the relationship of the animal with the the family completely changes.
1: So there's so. so many so many things to consider. We've run out of time, but I'm really glad that the Veterinary Center for Birds and Exotics is right nearby and that people can inform themselves before, during and after they add one of these exotic pets to their to their life. Thank you so much, Doctor Laurie Hess. Keep up the good work and we will look for you if we have anything exotic passing crossing our path. Thank you so Great. much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. A little of this, a little of that. A fun day. We will talk again next week.